Are you a scaling SaaS founder? Ready to make the leap from leading a team to leading an organization? Join us each week as we refill your think tank with actionable tips and strategies from great business minds you know and those you don't know yet. This is SaaS Fuel with your host, five-time entrepreneur, SaaS founder, and globetrotting adventurer, Jeff Maines. Welcome back to the SaaS Fuel Podcast, where innovation is like a squirrel with a jetpack, unexpected and coming at you crazy. I'm your host, Jeff Maines. I help B2B SaaS founders like you grow from traction to scale. Here, growth is more than just numbers. It's about crafting a future-proof company, premium valuation, and leaders who build a business of significance while living epic, adventurous lives. Well, spring is here in Texas. It's warm, a little windy, but a gorgeous time of year. Now, I really enjoy spending time outside, often without tech. Do you get away from tech and all those interruptions pretty often, or is that a really rare thing for you? A friend who leads a billion-dollar company, and he is one of the busiest and most connected people I know. And once and sometimes twice a year, he does what's called a silent retreat. It goes off and no tech, completely unreachable, thinking, strategizing, decision-making, deep work. Way different than regular life, where all day long it's ping, ding, your rings, everything vying for attention. And that's the receiving end. But oftentimes as founders and in sales, we're on the other end of those alerts. And we're the ones making those calls, sending the text, shooting out the emails. And knowing it's a noisy world, how do we cut through that noise to reach the right decision makers with the right message at the right time? It's like finding a needle in a haystack. But what if I told you that AI isn't just a buzzword? but a secret weapon in your sales arsenal. Some of you are using it already. Some of you are like, I'd never use that. And some of you are in the middle, but let's dive in and see how AI is reshaping the sales process for better and for worse. First of all, thinking about AI, precision targeting is super, super helpful. Gone are the days of just cold calling everybody. <laughs> the old days you get a phone book or you get this list and you just go down the list. Yeah, AI-powered tools are now the, the Sherpa kind of guiding sales teams to the Everest of decision makers. And the tools will analyze mountains and mountains of data to identify prospects who are not just likely to buy, but also in the position to make purchasing decisions. Now, it created a, essentially a super consumer profile using AI. Like who is somebody who would really love this? And it took our ICP and really drilled it down. I thought we were really granular before. But AI took that another level and we're able to test that and see, okay, what parts of that are true and what parts are not. It's like having a crystal ball that tells you who to call, when to call, and then what to say. What is that message that's going to resonate with them? Second is personalization at scale. And so imagine sending a personalized message to every prospect tailored to their specific needs and their pain points. Sounds like just an immense task, right? Yeah, Hercules going out on a quest. But enter AI-powered sales platforms like Outreach, SalesLoft, and the platforms use machine learning to analyze past interactions and craft messages that resonate with each prospect. It's like having a personal assistant who knows exactly what to say to just charm the socks of your potential clients. Sometimes tools aren't the best fit for personalization or personalization that they do is really lame. You've probably gotten those messages as well. Hey, I see you went to college at this place. Yeah, well, like 30 years ago. Well, what's the relevance today? And it's just AI pulling something out of a profile and saying, hey, we can connect on this. Let's flip it around 
And think about this, if we're not using AI to do that and to do the personalization, and uh, there's somebody you should know and follow online, and that is Beck Holland. Uh, we flipped the script. Now, I'll drop a link to her stuff. She is absolutely brilliant. Uh, from Dallas as well. We had to hang out a little bit last year. She is absolutely brilliant and has true personalization at scale and just has that really dialed in without taking forever or breaking the bank. And it's true personalization. It's not fake AI personalization. Very cool. I'll drop you a link to, to her stuff as well. But I think there's a, a play in there to use both of those together. AI, as well as some of the things that she is doing for personalization, because we really want to make sure that those connections are human as well. And the third is that timing is everything. The difference between a deal that's closed and a deal lost can be a matter of timing. You know, you call somebody, it's like, well, you know, I just made a purchase decision. We've had that happen. You know, I just bought this thing, just spent, you know, 200 grand on this thing. Like, well, why didn't you go with the SATs? You know, AI helps sales teams strike while the iron is hot. And using predictive analytics to identify the best time to reach out to prospect, tools like Gong IO will analyze communication patterns and engagement data and recommend the optimal time for follow-up. It's like having a, a sixth sense for timing. And there's probably a tool out there called Sixth Sense to take a look at. But yeah, it's that timing, ensuring that your message lands in your prospect's inbox just when they're most receptive. You know, right there in the, the beginning stages of the buying journey, you're just thinking about that. But you know, AI is not all sunshine and rainbows. It can also hurt the sales process if it's not used judiciously. Now, over-reliance on automation can lead to impersonal interactions, making prospects feel like just another number in the system. You know, we did that early on and made some big mistakes with AI and doing reach outs in personalized kind of videos. And, and it worked really well for a while. And then, you know, other people started doing that. It became more commonplace in the market. And yeah, the, the feedback was, oh, this is lame and lost credibility. And so stop doing that. So there are things that, that would go through cycles. Some things will work for a while. But I think the key is to strike a balance using AI to enhance human interactions, not replace them. And I think that's the mistake that we made was trying to replace that. And like, you know, we can make a, a virtual me reach out to everybody personally and it just, it didn't have the effect over time. Like I said, early on, it was great, but over time really lost its effectiveness and, you know, faking it is just not a, a great thing, right? We want it to be a real personalized connection. Now, AI certainly revolutionized the sales process and made it more targeted, more personalized, more timely. But the key here is at the heart of every sale is a human connection. And that's not something that we can ever outsource or replace or fake. It's got to be the real thing. So use AI as a tool to enhance that connection, not as a crutch to lean on. Because in the end, people buy from people, not from machines, at least today. What do you think? How are you using AI in your sales process? Drop a comment below and let me know. Our expert last week was Becky Lawler, the brain behind Redpoint content. It was a great episode, and she's a guest who changed the way I thought about original research and the content strategy around it. Yeah, I love it when somebody makes me rethink. Our founder last Tuesday was Mike Adams, founder and executive chair of Grain.com, which is my new favorite meeting app. Yeah, it's way better than two others I've used. We talked about building smart, focusing on what you love, finding freedom, and profit by letting go. Counterintuitive. 
And of course, making AI work for you. We talked a lot about that too, his solution. But if you missed either one of those episodes, go back and give them a listen. My guest today is Derek Ray, CEO at Demand Inc. and Lasso AI. Derek brings a wealth of experience with over $6 billion in pipeline wins for clients. His leadership and go-to-market strategies notably contributed to Shape Securities acquisition for a billion dollars, not too bad, in 2020. And he is former co-founder of Adly. Welcome, Derek Ray. Hey, Derek, welcome to SaaS Fuel. Thank you, sir. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, give the listeners a little bit about your background and how did you get to where you are now at uh, Lasso and Demand Inc.? Yeah. And so, you know, Lasso is a, a product that we've, you know, just launched. It's something that we built internally at Demand and we'll get into that. But prior to starting Demand Inc., I started a couple companies. I was always a founder and sales revenue leader at those companies. So I did full funnel you know, top of funnel, all the sales development, finding product market fit, scaling, building teams, raising capital. In 2010, 2009-2010, I created a company that we raised uh, about a six, six and a half million Series A from Graycroft. And so I've gone the Silicon Valley route. I started consulting in around 2015 in the security space, Kleinerback Security Company. We helped, or I helped lead the go-to-market efforts, which has since exited as a unicorn. So I started at zero revenue and got to help that company, you know, go to market and eventually become a unicorn. I can't take credit for what they built, but I definitely got to play a part in the go to market. But the idea and the background for Demand Inc. was I love top funnel. I love the challenge. I love the science and art aspect of it. I love multivariant testing. I love the challenge at startup space in terms of product market fit, figuring out what works, what resonates with what audience, iterating you know, on the fly when you and scaling. And so in 2017, I set out to build Demand Inc. as a best in class you know, sales development as a service for startups. And, and I thought I'd be working on startups really for the rest of my life because it's something I love doing. But the interesting thing was along the way, our clients starting to get acquired, starting to get bigger, larger, hitting unicorn status, raising hundreds of millions of dollars. And so now we have 60 professional sports teams as our clients. We work with some of the top leagues in the United States. We work with the majority of the top revenue teams in every single professional sports league. So I never thought I would have went from, you know, you know, top of funnel sales development for startups into professional sports. But, you know, being able to unlock pipeline in any type of B2B setting is really the framework that we both demand. And so now we get to apply it in all kinds of different industries and use cases and products. And yeah, we're having a lot of fun, but... The, the, the origin story wasn't of like many things. It wasn't the intended, you know, the intended path we've found, you know, right. you know, something that's uniquely ours and, and we're having a lot of success doing it. Very cool. And, and you've done significant numbers in pipeline. So 7 billion, I heard you just crossed over at the $7 billion mark yes, pipeline wins for your clients. Yes, sir. Yeah. We're at, we just crossed the 7 billion mark in pipeline generated for our clients, which um, it took us, I think, like three years to get to a billion. And so we're turning seven years old in a, a few weeks here. So now we're you know, starting to stack more than a billion and a half each year on our clients, into our clients' pipeline. So yeah, the framework works. That's for sure. 
So how do you do that? I think that's something that the audience is, you know, has got to be wondering. What are the key strategies that, that you put in place to make that happen? Well, ultimately, you know, the framework itself is when you think about sales development, there's <clears throat> the framework that we use is it's a framework that everyone has, right? There's research, there's copywriting, there's outbound experimentation, right? KPI that we drive is book meeting. The one qualifier for all of our clients, it's a B2B type of, you know, a B2B type of outreach play. For our sports teams, everyone will ask, well, are you guys doing B2C work for ticketing? And it's like, nope, we're doing premium ticketing, helping sell like suites, you know, it could be events at stadium, large groups, you know, employees or HR teams wanting to bring the employees out to a game type of thing. But most of our work is in sponsorships, naming rights, putting logos on Jersey, on stadium, et cetera. But the framework that we utilize, the the nuances or the differences versus an internal team or what we typically see in terms of for any business that's doing sales development, when you break down the components, that's where the differentiation is, right? So in research, we've had AI deployed for over two and a half years, and it's really a gap analysis AI that we'll explain. And this is really the origin story for the new product Lasso that we just launched in copywriting. Uh, the type of tone we use is different than anything we've seen. And we really focus on personalization at scale. And if I were to say the linchpin of our framework and how we're different is we really embrace the human element in terms of why you're receiving a message from me right now and why I think you're the right person for me to talk to, where we really focus on the prospect that receives the message and the test that the message needs the pass of was this written for me. And then the last component is on the scientific experimentation in terms of knowing what to control, right? And how to test and how to do it at scale. Also, because we sit on so much data, we're talking over 4 million emails a year that we're analyzing from a machine learning perspective, knowing, wow. and, and when you compare the data and the engagement that we see versus what the industry tells you to do, they couldn't be more different. And one example is whenever you look at any type of application or platform that's in the sales development, sales enablement, sales intelligence, and they'll tell you how many touches does it take to get someone's attention, right? And this number, by the way, if you've worked, if you've been around long enough, this number has been increasing every year. It's like more touches, right? It used to be like, oh, it's five or six touches. This is like, you know, mid 2000s. Now we see, it's like, we'll see teams, it's like, it takes 27 touches, you know, before someone responds, right? So the amount of noise, wow. almost annoyance, yeah. It's the, like the amount of activity we're doing has gone up so much. But when you look at the actual results, they're not trending in a parallel way. They're actually, they're diminishing, right? So we're doing more activity, hmm. right, as an industry but we're getting less results. And that's really how I describe 2023 for most teams because things have changed, right? And the tests that people don't run, and this is something that we love to test all the time, This and sitting on lots of data, and we can, this, is, this wouldn't be obvious to most teams, but when you actually test it, it starts to become you know, clear as day. Is it better to send 10 emails to one person or one email to 10 people? Right. And in sales, we always say, oh, persistence pays, you know, it's a numbers game, like all these things that we believe to be true. And, and in most cases, they're stereotypical. Yeah, they could be true. But no one runs that test of, you know, if I have a large total adjustable market or TAM, 
is it better for me to be, you know, do I go deeper on one contact versus focus on getting net new through? And what's interesting is when we explain this to companies or even encourage them to test, what they start to find is they don't need to go that deep in their cadences. They actually need to focus on the number one challenge that we believe sales teams uh, should be focused on is how do you find net new? How do you find contacts that match your ICP that you're not targeting versus, you know, continue to message people who are not responding, clearly not responding to your message. And that's something to where when you think about that framework of sales development, research, copywriting, outbound experimentation, you know, when you're sitting on data that's saying like, like we're basically swimming against the grain here, like from the way, the direction that everyone's going, we're doing a zag, right? It's a, you know, zig versus zag here. We think teams are going to shift and they are. And the clients that we work with, they see it. And we've seen like one publicly traded company brought us on. We outperformed their internal team 65 to one, their internal BDR team 65 to one. Wow. Yeah. And they're investing tons of money. They're paying people you know, hundreds of dollars in Starbucks card to take these meetings and, you know, to sit through some, you know, discovery call. And we said, let's throw all that out and just focus on the fundamental of can we write an email to a human? that has a reason for them, that piques their interest and has a reason for them to take the meeting. And then can we focus on doing that at scale without like all of this like anecdotal, you know, ideology of the way sales development or what you should do or how many touches it takes. Let's just focus on the most fundamental aspect of peaking interest and getting the meeting. And so the shift that I do think is going to happen or it's already happening is that you know, teams have burnt out and like those numbers, the metrics, the, their stack, the amount of noise that is being sent out there, it's in the inbox of, you know, prospects on a daily basis. It's, it's at a record high. And because of that, the, the, the symptoms of this are, you can see Google is, you know, has postured in Q4 of 2023 that we got to change the way we send email, Right. We have right, right, and, and that was Google and Yahoo coming together, basically saying like there's too much spam. And I agree, we've gotten away from that fundamental, you know, the really purpose of the human to human email, and email has been, you know, turned into this channel of spray and pray, one size fits all. Uh, we have an entire generation of people in sales and sales development that were probably never trained how to write a cold email or do one off cold email, you know, the way. You know, anyone that started in the early 2000s doing sales development, you know, did it because it's all we had at the time, you know, the the tooling, it just wasn't here. So, you know, and it's like any opportunity, there's never been more problems in sales development. There's never been more problems for sales than there is now, which is also fascinating with all the tooling, all the advancements of technology, you know, this diminishing return from this activity that used to you know, always be, you know, the numbers game. And if you do this, like you're going to get to that pipeline or the close one, like that's changed. And so the opportunity right now is how do we change as an organization? How do we change if you're a SaaS founder leading a team? If you're, you know, if you're the head of revenue or sales and you're leading go to market efforts, how are you going to drive engagement given the constraints, the problems, the challenges we have in the industry currently? Yeah. Yeah, that was a big thing. Sitting here in the, the middle of February, we were looking at a really different future back at the end of 2023 with uh, the Google scare. And, you know, if you're sending cold email 
you had to be a little bit worried about that. And then, you know, it, it turned out to be nothing yet, but I think you're right. The posturing is there. What was your take on that? And, you know, what did the future look like? So the Google scare, the end of fun for the spray and prayers, the uh, <laughs> size yeah. fits all, the templates. And we all, you know, everyone that listens to this has received the email of, it's like bracket, first name, bracket, you know, like, you know, they forgot to right. add the last bracket so their mail merge could work or it's the wrong name or they misspelled <laughs> and like the name's all caps or there's broken formatting or you see it every day. It's painful. If you just go through your spam folder, that's where a lot of these messages end up. Google's basically their message and they stepped back from it because they said this is going to be mandatory for all Google Workplace, right? Authenticate your domain, facilitate an unsubscribe function. Um, and most importantly, excuse me, most importantly, keep your eye on spam complaints. And for any startup founder that has ever used Google Postmaster tools to try and figure out how many people are marking spam on the message, they know that this is not an easy metric to get your hands on because most startups never send a metric right. or enough emails to end up with data inside of Google Postmaster tools. So those three things, and if you look at them, authenticate your email, SPF, DMARC, and DKIM, which is like the core way to sign your emails using authentication. I, I like to, internally, we train on, this is your passport, your driver's license, and DMARC kind of functions like TSA, where if you don't have your- Yeah, everybody should do yeah, that. And if you don't have your you know driver's license and if you don't have your passport, there's no way that you're going to pass through TSA. It's like with DMARC's function of right. you know, blocking email that when people are trying to fish or pretend they're you, but you don't have authentication alignment in your headers. So authenticate email is great. And if you look at Series A back startups over the last two years, typically we see about 60% of those Series A back startups have not properly authenticated their email to send to send email or their domain to send cold email. Wow. It's like, this is a big problem. To add DKIM into your domain uh, for a Google Workplace admin is about, it's about a three minute process. And it takes you about two and a half minutes to get into wow. the admin of where you need to do it. And it's seconds to actually publish a, a TXT DNS record on your domain. So the complexity of adding authentication is very, we're talking a minutes, a few minutes of task, but why so many domains are unauth unauthenticated now? I really see it as it's one of those, you know, that what, uh, technically what an email is is so misunderstood in terms of how the email goes from one person to the next. And I, and I like to draw the analogy of it's like shooting a basketball because like, if you think about, if you think about a basketball, you can go out and spend $10 and buy a basketball or $15 with, and comparatively to a Google workspace account, they're like identical. And when you shoot a basketball, you go out on your first day, you shoot a basketball, Steph Curry does not lose sleep at night, right? And similarly, in the email space, people can go out and get an email address and start sending emails for $15, and they have absolutely no clue what they're doing, right? And this kind of goes into the continuum of what we do, and companies will look at our framework and say, oh, we're already doing this, or we hired someone else to do what you do, you know? How are you guys different? And the continuum of sending email is very similar to the continuum of shooting a basketball, right? It doesn't, the barriers to enter are so low that the amount of people that send email and were never properly trained or don't understand how it works is incredibly high. And that's why you see this, you know, greater yeah. than 60% of Series A back companies don't have properly authenticated 
emails. And so that's going to change. And that's an easy change for any company to to add those authentication. And, and there's you know simple YouTube videos you can find by just Googling email you know, authentication, SPF, DMARC, and DKIM. Facilitating the unsubscribe is also something super simple. And for most of the you know, most of the sales and enablement and engagement platforms that are out there that are sending email at scale, you know, it's probably a checkbox that they need to add the unsubscribe link in the email. There's also a, a header unsubscribe that you can add, which is something that Google really wants to see. So both of those two are very easy to do in terms of unsubscribe and, and authentication. The third one is the big one, is spam complaints. Right? For one, managing them, yeah. right? knowing how many are you're getting, and there's some third-party tools that you can, you know, add to your domain to actually track this, which are um, reasonably affordable. So you can get the data if you're a startup founder, um, where you're just frustrated because Google Postmaster Tools is giving you no data. And and of our startup clients, which have been in the hundreds, I'd probably say it's know, 90% plus have never gotten data from Google Postmaster Tools, even though it's been in line. And so you can go out and, and get the spam complaints from other tools. And there's a handful of them that we could share after this, if you want to, to the listeners. But the big problem is content, right? Like, how do we send engaging right. content? Like, how do we email is ultimately yeah. what Google is telling us. Like, we have to change our ways. Because the spam complaint is simply a proxy for stop sending this junk, right? Send better email. Right. And and that's where I have the most excitement about from a timing perspective. And the, you know, for 2024, you have the rise of AI. And this is coming from 2023 and GPT and being able to personalize messaging. You have all these apps that have been created. But we also have this increase in you know, or it's to say decrease in engagement at the same time, increase in volume. So it creates for this perfect storm of yeah. needing to change and do things better to drive more engagement, or at least we have to change the way we've been doing things if we want the outcome to change. Another way AI can help drive success is aligning team performance with scorecards and KPIs. The old way was either crazy expensive to automate or manually done in time sucking spreadsheets. The Champion Leadership Group brought that into the 21st century with a SaaS solution that is incredibly powerful and currently free. If you would like a SaaS operating system designed to make your business world-class, along with on-demand fractional C-suite team, plus a community of scaling founders, check out Champion Leadership Group. If you're stuck at your current revenue level, this is for you. If you feel like you're the world's best kept secret, we've got your back. And if you're crushing it already and know your company has another gear, this is definitely for you, especially if you're busy. Now is the time to elevate from success to significance, from traction to scale. It's the time to upgrade. You'll gain access to a fractional C-suite community of scaling SaaS founders and the SaaS fuel operating system built into software to make your business world-class and support a premium valuation. You can learn more at championleadership.com where leaders evolve and companies transform. That's really smart to, to think about that. And I love that some of the things are really easy to do. Spam complaints, that's probably the one that, that gets me because even when you send good email, you know, we get some spam complaints or we get some hate mail back. And it's like, you know, I just ask if you wanted to, you know, come to an event. So simple things. So how do you manage, how do you make those messages better? How do you increase that? So you're really reducing those complaints. How do you add more value? 
Yeah. Well, organizationally, you need to think about the holistic domain and what the domain's doing on a daily basis, right? It starts there. And so how much email are you sending? Where are we sending email? You know, if you have DMARC on your domain, you can see, you know, you can make sure that, you know, your authentication policies are signing and aligning. If you're using third-party IPs to send an email, Mailgun, you know, any of the pro- programmatic tools, MailChimp, and you're sending it across someone else's domain. If you have email that you're sending that's opt-in, it's really important to know that, you know, they're authenticated, your, uh, your policies are aligned, the people did opt-in, right? And so just looking at the, the sending volume of the domain is really important. And when we see things go south on a domain and ends up in reputation trouble and this isn't this is just agnostic of the domain and and the type of company oftentimes there could be newsletter sending there could be volumetric sending that's happening where people didn't opt into that or they opted in to receive something else they like sign up for your product they didn't sign up for marketing and people are receiving email that didn't want to receive email from you right so that opt-in uh, traffic super important knowing like which ip is associated to it is is really important and where are you going to send your sales emails from is the most important decision to make, right? Is it top level? Is it subdomain? You know, just so you can have an isolated control. So if things go south for whatever reason, that your entire organization doesn't lose its ability to lo- to send email. And right. we try to bifurcate. We get we try to move away from the marketing sends and where where you know there could be messaging going out that isn't as engaging as a personalized cold email. And so that's where just choosing the right place to send from is really important and knowing how much email you're sending and, and is it being received. So that's incredibly important. Yeah. From a content perspective, we've talked to the Google spam PM, or at least we have a lot of information from Google. Also just, you know, unpacking what Google tells you about sending email, even talking to their support team, the tools they use to, to if you ever end up in spam trouble, right? Or your emails are going to spam or you have a deliverability issue. Google support is one of the best tools to utilize to understand what to look for. And one of the first questions they'll ask you, is there an image in your signature? Huh. Right? Uh, are you sending any type of static content? Are there images or links in your signature? And everyone like usually has, it's very common to see an image and a link in signature. Right, yeah. And so when you start unpacking when a problem happens, specifically what Google tells you, they'll no- normally have you look at their blacklist tool, like go to the site, check to see if you've been blacklisted. Are you sending any you know, content or links that are static or have an unknown or poor reputation? And knowing what the Google spam PM has told us and what Google support tells us, which is basically the same thing, is the the content that you send, the machine learning that they're using, you know, if it's a link, if it's an image, if it's a unique product name, you know, you're building reputation for every time you send an email or you could be hurting reputation, right? And so... When you go to send an email to someone with like a, a case study or something that your marketing team published, but they didn't opt in to receive this piece of content, just be mindful. You might be creating like a negative, you know, you might be cre- creating a negative content score on that piece of content. If a lot of people mark spam who receive it or in that, you know, marketing send that you that high volume marketing send that you have going with 
Maybe it's content that people aren't engaging with. If you plug that same content into your sales development efforts, you could be hurting yourself. And so the overall, I would say, story or that we've gained from Google over the years is use plain text, right? Hmm. Don't send links or attachments unless you know. And attachments are hard to send. Bandwidth is hard to send at scale as it is. Yeah. But if you're going to use a link, you need to make sure that it's a link that people want to click on. And that's really hard for sales teams because normally sales teams, the resources nearby are your one pages, decks, case studies, and people didn't opt into it. So you need to switch and use a a more permission-based way of communication like, PS, happy to send you a recent case study with X or achieved X type of thing. But focusing on plain text is where it starts, just from a a technical perspective in terms of reaching the inbox. The second thing is that we see is personalization is key, right? People are tired of, you know, the templated sent this to 10,000 people. It's so obvious. No research of why you sent me this. And I think Sam sales or Sam consulting that has hashtag Sam sales. She has a, she has something you'll see on LinkedIn called show me how you know me. And that's a great, that's a great mindset for cold email in terms of, identifying things that are personally identifiable about the person from their LinkedIn normally that you're going to message. And, and you don't want to go into the you know creepiness factor about mentioning, you know, bikini photos from the recent vacation or, you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, there, there is this like a continuum on personalization, which you need to be aware of, but, you know, reaching out to someone showing that you've done your research and you have a reason for reaching out to them specifically that at scale works incredibly well. And we love, you know, the Sam sales, Sam consulting, show me how you know me approach. Most of our clients were doing more of an appointment setter type of persons reaching out to like set up another team or another person to have a right. call. So, so we're different from what Sam sales does. Cause I think it, if you're reaching out one-to-one to a person that's similar to you, you're reaching out to a peer. That's when we like to use what we call equals networking uh, type of tone where it's like a, you know, a similar type of, you know, title reaching out to another similar type of title. Maybe there's a networking play. Maybe there's, you know, there's shared mutual connections in common. But when you add another person to that layer where this is a person that's probably not going to connect with them on LinkedIn, um, they're probably never going to be considered a peer. Um, they're never going to be in the same room together. And it's you're reaching out to say like, hey, we want to, you know, we basically want to set up a discovery call to show you X, Y, Z. That's where we spend our day, right? Which is adds a layer of complexity. But ultimately, the content, the focusing on the person and not the company they work for. And that's also a pro tip because a lot of companies are, they use firmographic information on the company of like, hey, so you guys use Shopify and you guys have this and, and you're selling in this category. Have you thought about using this technology? Right. And that, that's more of the, about the company, but you've missed the person and you've, and you've mm. lost that aspect of I'm going from human to human, not human to company. And I'm not company to company. It's truly a human to human type of connection. And so building content that has the, it has really, it answers the question of why you, why now as a person to take this meeting, that's where we see a tremendous response engagement in our messaging, at least that's where the pipeline's coming is because we're, we're really focused on, you know, reaching out to a person and then doing that at scale, which of course is the hard part. Yeah. So how do you do that at scale? Sure. So it starts with segmentation, right? It's when you look at any target, 
right? You have a bullseye, you have a second ring, there's probably another concentric circle, and there's different sides of those rings. And so whenever you approach any addressable market, any TAM, you need to understand like what is the target, which is a prioritization exercise, right? So inside the bullseye, you might be doing things that are entirely different from the next ring or the next rings, set of rings, right? But having a prioritization for your TAM starts there, right? Hmm. And within the bullseye, you're going to look for similarities, right? So you're going to look for people that maybe have same job function and they're in the same industry and you have a use case that ties to that of, you know, hey person, I see you do this for said company and you come from X company, you know, you know, we recently had success with this company in your category, you know, so like the story that you're going to tell to that person, you really want to map it to who they are in the company and the role that they do and why it'd be interesting for them to take a meeting, right? And so when you start to do segmentation, which is a grouping exercise, you can start to look at how am I going to message these people, right? And this goes back to this goes back to sending emails one off individually, you know, a decade and a half ago before we had all the sales enablement tools that we have now. Yeah. Like if you had a list of contacts or even phone book, go to the phone book, right? How are you going to prioritize the phone book, right? Are you just going to start alphabetically from A and work your way down? Or are you going to look for a way to group, right? And it's like, imagine if the phone book had groupings or segmentation that you could apply. It's like by a neighborhood or by a type of you know business or whatever it might be. That's going to be a much more efficient way to contact someone when you're contacting the same type of business or you're talking, contacting the same neighborhood, when you can reference things that they recognize. Like, hey, I just spoke to your neighbor, you know? And I also spoke to the other person on the block from you. Like establishing that... It's really the trust continuum for the YU of I've done my research, right? This is why I'm reaching out to you. And I'm going to reference things that you're probably going to recognize, which is attacking trust continuum, right? For like, hey, this is why you should trust me. And then the why now is your hook or call to action. And so from a framework perspective, when you think about, okay, I want to personalize my message so that it passes the test that it's written for them. It has a reason for why they should respond to it, not their company, but them individually it sets the table in terms of why they should trust me right so i track attack trust continuum and you can do that with logos with efficacious results and normally it's a combination of things they're going to trust like big company logos efficacious results and maybe something else like and like one of our clients was founded by a former cio of google and so we'd use that as like sure you know we just had six you know these two banks and were founded by former CEO of google so that kind of like Major credibility, credibility. trust. Exactly. So credibility, I like to think of it as street cred. Yeah. It's like, here's my street cred. And so you go from opener, which is personalize you first, and then maybe company specific second, street credibility, and then call to action. Right. And call to action is something that also continuum, right? Because if you're reaching out to C-suite or depending on who you're, it could be direct versus referral, meaning can you, can we, you know, I'd like to schedule a call with you or can you connect me with folks in your team that do X, Y, Z? You know, those are the, those are, you know, some of the variables that you'll have there, but the message itself, concise, scannable to the point, why you, why now? And there's also some things that we've been studying on shape, 
you know, the actual shape of the email itself. Interesting. And it, it is really interesting. It's, you know, humans and patterns. And when you look at psychologically the response you invoke, and it's really the scan response that split second, you know, before you'd even try to read, like, is this threatening, you know, yeah. or is this something that I'm going to be able to work through quickly? Or even like you, when you start thinking about how you open an email, what, like what, why did you choose to open the emails you chose to open? And why did you choose the read? When you just follow your own behavior, you'll start to notice a trend in terms of why you cognitively thought it was important, right? Is it like, and like, what was like, what was your motivation for opening your own emails, right? And and now you can scan on your phone, you can look at your inbox, right? And there's probably 75 emails since we've started talking that you've received. <laughs> like, what, you know, what's the one you're going to open? And there's something to be said about the pattern that you use as it relates to being you know, easy for the eye to work through, non-threatening. And, and, you know, the content is important, but just the pattern alone is something to study. And I'd say in the content itself, the most important thing that we've tested or the things that we've seen, the thing that we see right now that causes the most emails to be either marked as spam or go to spam is that it's an obvious sales, sales message. And so sales resistance is at an all time high. Yes. So when you look at when you look at, you know, salesy subject lines, you know, save money, you know, super generic, you know, thought you'd find this interesting, the things that we've, you know, seen and received so many times, these, you know, generic, not personalized kind of sales techniques, the sales resistance that recipients have now is at an all time high, right? And so making sure the message doesn't look and read like a sales email and it's more about them, piques their interest and gives them a reason for why they should reply or at least, you know, give them a reason for potentially take a meeting with you. That's absolutely the goal. And keep in mind, like a lot of people, a lot of the issue is people try to sell an email. You know, right. It's not where acquisition happens, right? It's normally, especially if it's a product that has significant, you know, average contract value, you're not going to, it's not going to be a one email close. You know, it's, there's normally, if you have human sales team involved, right? Like get the humans talking, get them together. Humans love to connect. They love to socialize. They love to talk to each other. Right. And, you know, let the team sell and close. Don't feel like you need to close too early. Hmm. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, so often, send the, the email and trying to, to sell with the email, and the the, the the goal of the email is to to sell the next step, whether that's a click, it's a download, yep. it's a response, it's whatever that next step is. It's like you know, hitting a tennis ball. You just want them to hit it back. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. And analogous to another sport like baseball. Yeah. You know, too many people are swinging for the fences, right? When they should be just trying to get on first base. Right, right. Right. And so prioritizing the goal is super important. And if you apply this to call it dating, imagine like the atrocities that are committed on a daily basis when it's like people are like wanting to talk about the wedding, you know, in like a first cold email. <laughs> you know, uh, versus, yeah, versus you yeah, talk about closing, trying to close too soon. The dating analogy is one of my favorite ones when you, what's interesting in all of, in, in cold email and strategy, one of the things where we see teams have a lot of success and they, 
it happens almost all the time is it's actually it's really hard not to be successful in this type of email is when it's a conference outreach email and and when teams are not successful at conference outreach it's obviously clear because if i send you a message like say it's ces just happened right last month right right if i send an email if you're attending ces and i say it and the subject line is connect in vegas right and you're already, you know, you know, you're going to be in Vegas. You know what time of the year it is. You probably don't go to Vegas that often. You're thinking Vegas as a person, right? Right. And you get an email that says connect in Vegas. And my email says, hey, Jeff, I know you do this. And you have this background and you lead this accelerator and you have this podcast. I'm a big fan. Like, here's what I do, right? Here's, we should chat, Right. Like that message, that natural human message of like, you're going to be in the same place as me and I see what you do for the company you work for. Yeah. Can we find the talk time to chat? And like, here's what I do. Like that is the framework. It's the, it's how humans like normally, you know, communicate. And if you look at your text message threads you have with friends or even people that are newer friends, what you'll notice is the way we naturally communicate as humans is the opposite for the way we've been trained. So we can, you know, there's people we can point fingers at in terms of, you know, we don't write introductory, you know, first paragraph, (laughs) three supportive and a conclusion, right? right? In our daily, in our text messages, it's emojis, it's, yeah, right? (laughs) It's emojis, it's, it's, it's poor grammar, it's, you know, it's like our natural human way of communicating is not how we communicate in email typically, right? Yeah. We like we button up. It's the way my boss did it. It's the way I used to do it at my big company. You know, here's, you know, I want to say this is the way my poppy did it, but my poppy probably never sent a cold email. <laughs> but you know, the way how we naturally communicate. If you can train your team to think more human, natural, and then make it about the person and not the company that they work for, now you're headed in the right direction. And the conference outreach forcing function of like, you're a human, they're a human, they're going to the same place too. You have a lot in common. They might be on the buy side or sell side for what you're doing, but identifying that they are and where they, the role they have, the company they're with and why they should trust you. And maybe even like, well, I'd love to talk about X, Y, Z, not super pitchy, but just conversational. That is a great forcing function and a great template and framework for people to instruct their teams to how can you be more human at scale is focus on like what you do in conference outreach and then apply that to cold outreach. Hmm. Why would you have a natural reason for outreach or what would the commonality be? You know, and there's this within the Facebook sales team, there's this term they use. I think it's called like flights book pipe, right? When it's like, Hey, I'm going to be in said city, right? would love to find the time to connect. And we've even meet, met sellers who actually live in those regions, but they still use this play. Sure. Of like, I'm going to be traveling to like New York, even though they live in New York. I would love to, you know, cause it creates that forcing function and has that reason for it to connect. And I'm going to be in town and for whatever humans are like, Oh, he's going to be in town. I'm going to, you know, I would consider this versus an email that didn't say this person's coming to town. Or right. At least it, it creates some sort of a, a forcing function to take a meeting. But uh, what we see is on that flights book pipe mindset is we'll see teams that are, you know, just constantly doing roadshows, you know, because it's like, this is a way to drive more engagement because I'm going to be in town. And then it also could lead to human connection, we think. That's what we are testing or studying in terms of like the human connection element in these emails. Like, is there... 
you know, do we cognitively want to have a higher likelihood to respond if there's going to be human connection? And this goes into like our species questions, right? Like does human, is it like replying to an email or taking a meeting? Like how much are we motivated by human connection? And these are, these are, you know, questions and things we want to test, but you know, the data that we sit on, the, the opportunity that we have to measure and test and control these things, that creates some pretty fascinating, you know, data points and, and examples in terms of not only like how to do cold email in 2024, but ultimately the question of like, why do people respond? Why do people take a meeting? Like that's what we're ultimately working towards better understanding. I like that. How do you think AI is affecting and going to continue to affect the personalization at scale? Does it become more personal or does it become more impersonal because it's a bunch of data points jammed into a message? Yeah, absolutely. Great question. So where Puck is headed, right? Let's just assume that every single message you send within the next 12 months will be personalized, right? To the person. It should be. Sure. The, the speed at which, you know, the speed at which technology is advancing is every single email should be personalized, right? Now, how genuine is that personalization, right? We yeah. know that that's already lost, right? <laughs> like the, because we don't know this person, we can show that we've done our homework, but what we expect to happen, at least this is our theory is that, and it's already happening. I received these emails where like the first three sentences are all about me and my background. The fact that I'm like a San Francisco 49ers fan, they're playing well in the playoffs. Yeah. And it's like, you know, it's just too much. Right. You know? And when you think about, and you, when you think about this, the over the last 15 years of, of your inbox and what's got your attention, you know, there's these pattern interrupts that have happened. Like when someone introduced the, a GIF, or someone introduced like doing a recording on your website and it's like, oh, wow, you did all this. You spent all this time thinking about my website yeah. and like explaining and, and, you know, it goes all the way back to the, you know, punch the monkey or cat gifts from like the, you know, even maybe it was blinking HTML at one point in time. Who knows? Right. But the pattern interrupt diminishing return, like it's already happening with personalization, right? Where that. The generic, I studied, I'm I like making a comment about your mascot that you went to college with. And if you're like myself and you're 20 years removed almost <laughs> from, from college, like the opportunity to personalize and the diminishing return on personalization, I think we're already well into, well, like the pucks already surpassed a lot of this disingenuous personalization. Yeah. And so, and I do think that we're just going to see more and more personalization, not to imply it's good, but ultimately what we're preparing for is this, it's going to ultimately come down to that human connection, right? Of, and it's really that why you and not why you, meaning your company, but why you, you know, Jeff at Acme Co or Derek at said company or whoever's listening to this. I think it, I think I'm excited because you know, I don't need people pretending like they know me or making assumptions to, you know, what I, what my needs are right now, right. Based on looking at my LinkedIn or, you know, social profiles, but I am excited about when people have 
information that they, or it really goes back to that segmentation of like, why do they think I'm in their bullseye? Right. Like what's the information they're going to share of like, why am I reaching out to you, Derek of all founders of all these companies, you know, of these, you know, millions of startups, like why did I choose you? And that personalization I think is in the realm of, and that's the ballpark of where we need to go from an AI perspective to actually create, you know, the why you, why now, you know, personalization at scale that's going to be effective. But it's going to be an interesting time, that's for sure. It definitely is. It definitely is. How does Lasso fit into that? The new product rolling out. So, you know, what does it do? How does it work? How does it make this happen? Yeah, so Lasso is actually built to do single prompts, single umbrella prompts, contacts at scale. You can throw big prompts at it and it's going to say, and it's going to actually look at the prospect or recipient level of like, why you, why now? Right. And so the sender will determine if this is a direct message where I want to have a meeting with them or is this referral where I need the, them to connect me to someone, you know, on their team. And that's not uncommon. Some people are anti referral messaging, uh, but we're big fans of it because a lot of buy centers at an organization, right? There's always a buying center. It's great when one person has, you know, budget, authority, need, timeline, like all the bank, you know, type of characteristics of like, this is our person. Most products don't have that. Most products have influencers, users, economic decision makers. And so using AI to do a single prompt messaging at scale that does this of knowing your probability is low on the C-suite. There are probably two people above where I need to be. So they're going to refer me down or we're going to go in and the AI is going to say, hey, I don't know if this is, you know, C-suite person's call or if this falls under your lead because I see you do this and you came from these two companies, but we're looking to have a conversation about this. And we haven't spoken to you yet. Like that type of messaging of kind of the, the connection approach and the why you, like why I'm reaching out to you specifically. And here's this compelling reason why our company should meet. And so that's, it's why you personal, you know, business use case, you know, social proof, call to action. It's either direct or referral. Like our, the AI that we've built does this at scale off of a single prompt. So you can do this with thousands of contacts at once. And then you want to put human eyes on it before it sends out. But what we see is if we can get in that 90, 90th percentile or greater with AI of like personalized messaging at scale, there could be other hooks that we're bringing in. I saw the recent news, saw the recent funding, you know, saw XYZ, you know, that the AI goes out and captures. Like what we're doing in seconds and literally like seconds used to take us months if yeah. not years, produce this type of messaging. So a lasso, you know, in its core design is it's built to find contacts we're missing for first and foremost, and then create messaging that's personalized, that passes the why you, why you, why now, so that we can help us work smarter, you know, for anyone that's in sales or has is running a account-based you know approach, an ABM approach. Anyone that's using an ABM approach knows that the most important part is finding net new contacts. And like, you just don't know when there's a new contact that's at your account, right. That has joined. So having a machine that goes out and does that's hundred percent additive excludes what you currently know, finds net new. Like that's the core reason why we built Lasso and then, you know, training it with millions and millions of cold emails that are personalized with YU to write message and scale. That's the second component of Lasso. So think of it like the Western tool of throwing a Lasso. Yeah. It's the exact 
you know, what you want to do. It's the exact use case for a sales team of go find what you want, what you're missing. And in this case, instead of using a rope, it's using, you know, personalized email at scale. That's fantastic. Well, where can people learn more about you and about Demand Inc. and Lasso AI online? Sure. Lasso.ai. We just launched it. Excited to, and we have a bunch of perks for our initial users and we're you know, most favored nation, you know, give us feedback. We want to hear what people think of it. ABM teams, founders, sales teams, et cetera. So I'm running a bunch of perks right now to get people in and share their feedback. And then also Demand Inc., demandinc.co. That's our parent company. That's the framework for any B2B company, founder, revenue lead, sales team that needs help top of funnel for acceleration on revenue. That's what we do. We've had success in over 30 different verticals and and we book meetings. I mean, that's ultimately what Demand does. That's awesome. It's awesome. We'll make sure to link it all in the show notes. Derek, great conversation today. Super insightful. Really appreciate you being on the show. Thanks for having me, Jeff. It was a pleasure. Thanks again, Derek, for coming on the show and sharing your journey and insights. You can learn more about Derek at lasso.ai. That's also where you can find AI-powered connections to decision makers. All links, highlights, resources, and full show notes are available at sasfuel.com. And be sure to check out our YouTube channel as well. Lots going on there. You've enjoyed this journey with us. Share this episode with a fellow explorer and let's expand the SASFuel Surf Club. Everyone who shares this week gets a lasso of influence. Like Wonder Woman's lasso, but this is a tool that helps you craft messages so compelling they will rope in even the most elusive decision makers and bring them into your corral of prospects. Well, join us Thursday on our SaaS Fuel Expert Series where my guest is Dan Belkowski, founder and chief pricing officer of Product Tranquility. Dan will be giving us new ways to think about pricing and how to price your SaaS right. And it's not by looking at your competitor websites. And next Tuesday, one week from today, we will have Wes Bush to talk about product-led growth, all the do's, don'ts, and how to know if it's right for your SaaS and how to use it. So I will see you next time. And as always, enjoy the journey. Thanks for listening to SaaS Fuel. Full show notes for each episode, which includes a summary, key takeaways, quotes, and any resources mentioned are available at sasfuel.com. Be sure to follow and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you're enjoying the content and getting value from these episodes, please leave us a rating and review at ratethispodcast.com slash sassfuel. We'll be sure to read these out on future episodes. Let's go!